We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Dr. Richard Isaacs, who is CEO and Executive Director of the Permanente Medical Group and President and CEO of the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group, two of the largest and most distinguished medical groups in the nation. Together, TPMG and MAPMG have more than 10,000 Permanente physicians and over 40,000 nurses and staff delivering high-quality health care to more than 5 million Kaiser Permanente members in Northern California, Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. Dr. Isaacs, who was named to Modern Healthcare's list of the 50 most influential physician executives and leaders in 2018, also serves as co-CEO of the Permanente Federation, LLC. The Federation is a consortium of all the Permanente medical groups in the nation, and it supports the work of more than 22,000 Permanente physicians and 80,000 employees. In this role, Dr. Isaacs provides strategic leadership and direction to all the Permanente medical groups and to the National Kaiser Permanente program. Kaiser Permanente is comprised of the Permanente medical groups, Kaiser Foundation Health Plan Incorporated, and Kaiser Foundation Hospitals. Previously, Dr. Isaacs served as physician-in-chief of the Kaiser Permanente South Sacramento Medical Center, where he was responsible for all clinical operations throughout the inpatient and outpatient arenas. While physician-in-chief, Dr. Isaacs played a critical leadership role in helping his medical staff pioneer several innovative initiatives that were ultimately adopted by Kaiser Permanente nationwide. In 2005, Kaiser Permanente South Sacramento was the alpha site for the successful implementation of Kaiser Permanente's electronic health record, Kaiser Permanente Health Connect, a technological accomplishment that inspired other pioneering applications using smartphone connectivity to further enhance the quality of care and patient experiences. Kaiser Permanente South Sacramento also was the first level two trauma center in Kaiser Permanente, earning that designation in 2008. More recently, Kaiser Permanente South Sacramento's collaborative Greater Sacramento Sports Medicine Program has expanded to provide expert care to regional and professional athletes. Dr. Isaacs currently serves on the board of directors for the Alliance of Community Health Plans and the American Medical Group Association. He is also actively involved in medical education and has served as a clinical professor of otolaryngology at University of California Davis School of Medicine, Drexel University School of Medicine, and California North State University School of Medicine. Born and raised in Detroit, Dr. Isaacs received his bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan and his medical degree from Wayne State University School of Medicine in Detroit. He completed his otolaryngology head and neck surgery training in New York at the Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital, New York Hospital, Cornell Medical College, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Subsequently, he received his head and neck oncologic and skull-based surgical training from UC Davis. 
He joined the Permanente Medical Group following the completion of his surgical training in 1995. He is board certified in otolaryngology with advanced certification in head and neck oncologic surgery, is a fellow of the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery, and a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. Rich, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Before we get started, is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience about yourself? Well, I'm super excited to be here, and, and uh, I have a wife and two children. They're both uh, medically oriented. My wife is a physician. I'm in medical school, and I've got two daughters. One is a third-year medical student at the University of California at Davis, and my youngest daughter is a first-year medical student at California North State University. So we have quite a household of doctors, I guess you could say. Quite an accomplished family and very medically directed. I want to thank you for taking the time out of what must be a very busy schedule for you in the face of this COVID pandemic. And I know your daughters are are likely affected as medical students with their rotations and medical education being put on hold. We've talked with a, a few other medical students and educators who kind of dove into how that's affecting them. Yes, it's an unprecedented time in in our lifetimes. I never would have expected to be facing this type of a pandemic. And it's still, the pace of change is so fast, it seems surreal. I wake up in the morning wondering what is happening and how are we going to persevere through this? But we've got some really great things that are happening in this country and we will get through this and we will emerge even stronger. Absolutely. So, Rich, you've been very successful professionally. Can you tell our audience a bit about your origin story and and your journey to a career in medicine? Well, you know, ever since uh, my youth, I I was very excited about medicine, and I was looking for a career in medicine at a very young age. My father uh, was a practicing OBGYN. He's retired now with my mother. They live in Florida. Uh, My my father quietly inspired me to, to go into medicine. Um, it was the perfect blend of science and interpersonal relationships with patients, and it, it was just the perfect career for me. So I studied pre-med at the University of Michigan. I went to medical school, as you said, at Wayne State University School of Medicine in Detroit, where I met my wife. And together, the two of us matched uh, in New York City, where I spent five years at Memorial Sloan Kettering New York Hospital, Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital. And I really got excited about oncologic head and neck surgery and pursued a fellowship at the University of California, Davis. At the time, it was the only skull-based surgical fellowship training that included microvascular reconstruction. And I was very fortunate to be accepted into that fellowship. And that's what brought us to Northern California. And during the fellowship, I encountered the Permanente Medical Group because they had incredible otolaryngologists that were a part of the faculty. And uh, coming from the East Coast, I really didn't know what an integrated healthcare delivery system was. But the more that I learned about it, the more excited I became. And I have been privileged to be spending my 25th year now uh, with the Permanente Medical Group. So it was 1995, I was recruited. I was a head and neck oncologic surgeon here in Northern California and providing tertiary care as a kind of a center of excellence and bringing expertise across the region so that I could deliver high quality care close to where uh, our patients uh, reside and um, where their families live. And that was very inspirational for me. 
From there, I became the chair of otolaryngology head and neck surgery for Northern California. And uh, it's been just uh, an amazing career for me. 10 years into my career with Kaiser Permanente, I was appointed the physician in chief at our South Sacramento Medical Center, where we, we had the ability to innovate. As you mentioned, we were the alpha site for Kaiser Permanente's electronic medical record implementation. And me, along with my team, were able to uh, really spread our wings and push the envelope of what technology can do in medicine. And we did several very nice projects, connecting our physicians with the technology, using smartphone apps, Clinician Connect, bringing video into the exam rooms with patients, and really pushing the envelope of uh, telemedicine. 2017, I was appointed CEO of the Permanente Medical Group. And uh, for the last th almost three years, I've been at the helm of the Permanente Medical Group in Northern California. We have almost 10,000 physicians, 21 hospitals, and 35,000 staff and nurses uh, providing exceptional care to the community here that we serve. Outstanding. And your family connection to medicine goes even deeper than, than I knew about in several generations, three generations now. Um, Rich, can you tell us a bit about Kaiser Permanente's early mobilization efforts and the approach to the COVID-19 pandemic and how the organization may be uniquely positioned to handle this situation as the largest healthcare provider in California? Well, thank you for, for asking that. I think we, my, my team had been watching the virus and its pandemic effect in China. And I think it became real for us around uh, the middle of February when the Diamond Princess that was harbored in Japan was slated to move to the Oakland port for disembarkation of those uh, patients uh, that ultimately were triaged at Travis Air Force Base. So my team was involved in the very early phase of COVID here in Northern California. And as you know, from your medical center, I think you were the recipient of several COVID positive patients in Vacaville and Vallejo. At that time, we realized that a mitigation plan needed to be put in place. And Steve Perotti, our chief infectious disease expert and associate executive director on my team, and I, we decided that we needed to put together a playbook so that we could implement the appropriate mitigation and ultimate follow-up strategies in containing this disease. So we have a 150-page playbook that is in constant evolution, and it's really dictated Kaiser Permanente's response, but it's also played a role in the state of California and also uh, across this country, and we can talk more about that. Um, I think what we have seen is Kaiser Permanente's ability to leverage the integration that we enjoy and deliver world-class care to the community and to the patients that are unfortunately afflicted by COVID-19. Great. And, and within that, I th bringing up the playbook kind of takes me to the next thing that I wanted to ask you about. Can you tell a bit, uh, us a bit about what Kaiser Permanente has done to prepare for a potential surge in patients that may require hospital-based care? So we've been working extensively with the Kaiser Permanente Division of Research and studying this disease and its impacts across the globe. We've got these very sophisticated models that project the magnitude of the surge and also its potential impact. And from there, we've been mobilizing our teams to be prepared, 
to care for the uh, incredibly, um, to provide the intensive care required for a surge and outbreak of COVID-19. So I would say that we've, we've actually had a two-fold approach. We started with mitigation, um, trying to isolate this disease. And I, I think our experts were key in the early implementation in California for physical and social isolation, which uh, has played out beautifully here in Northern California. As you can tell, we have a very slow doubling rate uh, for the, the volume of population that we have. And we've actually seen significant impacts in diminution of the impact of this disease. Yes, we've been very fortunate in California as a result of the, some of those efforts to, to really start to flatten the curve. And I'll, I'll ask you a little bit about what the data says in a moment. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, because of Kaiser Permanente's size, reputation, the integration of the system and the successful approach to the pandemic thus far, the organization has served in an advisory role to Governor Newsom the White House and others. Is that correct? It's true because we had the early playbook that got some mileage with the state of California, and we presented it to the governors of the United States. We've had FaceTime with the Secretary of Health and Human Services in California and also in D.C. So we've had FaceTime with the president and FaceTime with the governor. And a lot of the mitigation strategies that we put in place have been I'm really proud to say that they've been adopted um, at the local, state, and federal levels. That's great. And do you mind um, diving a little bit more even into the this these advisory roles and kind of specifically what types of input that you and KP have been providing to the governors? And like, what, what do you tell if you told us the highlights about what you're telling them they might want to think about doing? What are you saying? Well, I think that the mitigation strategy, and we were way in front. Science, 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 science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Uh, By isolating disease in our community, by limiting eliminating elective surgery and focusing in on isolating this disease. We've been watching the data in Northern California, Kaiser Permanente, which is pretty, we have 4.5 million patients that we take care of. And just looking at our call center data, if you look around uh, March 17th or so, we had a high volume of cold flu and upper respiratory complaints coming into our call center pretty close to 19,000 calls per day at the peak. And after implementing social isolation, we've seen a marked diminution, a precipitous drop in those types of calls. And when you look at that data, it's very compelling to the Secretary of Health and Human Services and and the governor. It shows you that um, social isolation and sheltering in place is effectively working in Northern California. 
And by the way, this call center data is a very excellent predictor for future hospital need. So if you can eliminate the surge in upper respiratory complaints, you eliminate the presentation of COVID-19 in our hospitals. And that's exactly what's played out. And it's access to a volume of data that's really quite unique in this in this country. I imagine maybe the VA might have something like that, but few organizations have data on four and a half plus million people, correct? That is correct. And when you combine that data with our division of research, the predictive analytics that you present are very compelling. Right. So I want to, I want to date stamp this next question. Uh, today is April 14th, 2020. Um, Rich, can you tell us what the data is saying about the state of the pandemic, what the curve looks like at this moment in time, and what we might be reasonably able to expect over the next couple of months? Uh, understanding, of course, you don't have a crystal ball, but just based on what the data looks like. Well, the data, as I mentioned, it looks like we've got a handle on this disease because we've decreased the doubling time of COVID-19 in California. Here in Northern California, we're doubling every 12 to 13 days, which is very slow for this virus. In New York, in the heyday, it was doubling every three days. So based on that, we are decreasing the number of impacted individuals, which is playing out quite nicely. And also, as I'm watching the number of COVID positive presentations that we have across Northern California, it is very much diminished. Uh, I think in the last couple of days, we've had a few dozen COVID positive patients, which is markedly reduced from during the peak. So we're definitely in the right direction. It's hard to predict what's going to happen because uh, I think sheltering in place has worked very effectively. And it's going to be up to um, our infectious disease leaders to help us understand what suppression strategies look like and how do we recover and get back to a normal lifestyle here in California. Right. And just to break it down for our audience, this idea of the doubling time every three days in New York is the, the number of days that it takes for the number of infected individuals to double. And so if it, you think about it in, you know, it, it just anything doubling at that rate, it starts to add up very, very quickly. And in California, we've been able to spread that out where it went, I think it started somewhere in the neighborhood of three days and then really just started because of our mitigation strategies and sheltering in place and social distancing. It started to spread out to every six days and every eight days. And now we're up into the range where you mentioned in excess of over 10 days. So really just slowing the spread, right? It's fantastic. And I've learned so much about epidemiology and infectious disease through this process. And it really did play perfectly, played out well. Right. Perfect. Um, so the pandemic has forced many organizations to start shifting to virtual care and telemedicine. Can you tell us about how Kaiser Permanente was using virtual care prior to the pandemic and the approach since the pandemic has hit? In the middle of last year, I unveiled a strategy for the Permanente Medical Group Board of Directors where I was focusing in on virtual care first. How can we provide video and televisit, telehealth visits as a first option for our patients. And what's happened with this whole COVID pandemic, it's escalated the uh, execution of first telehealth for all of our specialties, primary care and specialty care. We went from under 30% as a first 
telehealth strategy to now close to 80% of our visits through this pandemic are now being offered and executed on video or telehealth for every patient. And the physician and patient satisfaction is exceedingly high. So as I predicted, the, the consumers and our patients will love this. And by having a user-friendly internal approach, it makes it very easy for our physicians as well. Great. That's a very prescient um, plan, having rolled that out last year. Um, the pandemic has seemed to shine a light on the potential for even greater use of virtual care and telemedicine, both within Kaiser Permanente and, and organizations across the country. Um, would you agree with this idea? And how do you envision virtual care being utilized differently once the pandemic has waned? So I think that it's really about looking at the cost of care in this nation. And pre-COVID, we were spending close to 19% of the GDP on healthcare. And we've, we've priced ourselves out of the ability to provide care to the bulk of the community. It's a massive undertaking. It costs almost $50,000 a year for a small family to, to get their care and get their coverage. So I think that technology will be a key component in creating uh, execution on care delivery and to do so in the most efficient and effective way. So bringing in a patient and having them have a digital visit with their primary care physician and being able to have a conversation with a primary care and a specialty physician in the same virtual visit drives tremendous convenience because patients are getting care in the convenience of their own home, as we're seeing now with COVID-19. Right. And my own patients with telemedicine prior to the pandemic and now they don't have to take time off from work. They don't have the time involved in a commute to get to an office or a medical center. They don't have to deal with parking or pay for parking. There's no co-pays usually with telemedicine. It's convenient. So there's actually a lot in addition to the efficiencies that it creates it's usually very, very well received. You know, we can't do everything over telemedicine, but it really does um, make for a, a more effective and efficient system and, and keeps people at home or keeps them in their workplace. And I think we're also seeing fewer cases of COPD exacerbations and heart failure exacerbations and by keeping people home. And I have this theory that if we can do some of this during flu seasons, you know, not sheltering in place, but just keeping people away from waiting rooms that we may actually be able to have a positive effect on, on the next flu season. Yes. And we're actually seeing uh, healthier children too, because the common viral infections that affect kids are not affecting them because they're social isolating, which has been fantastic as well. Right. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing to think about from an epidemiologic standpoint. So Kaiser Permanente recently announced that it will waive all member out-of-pocket costs for inpatient and outpatient services related to the treatment of COVID-19. Can you tell us a bit more about this and about the thought process behind this decision? So I think that with COVID-19, it's really about removing all barriers to testing. Uh, we know that mitigation is critical. and We didn't want to have any financial barrier that prevented somebody from understanding whether they had this contagious disease or not. So we eliminated all barriers to treatment for COVID-19. Um, you know, Kaiser Permanente is focused on the community that we serve uh, beyond the Kaiser Permanente membership. 
So by creating an ease of testing and an ease of treatment for COVID-19, we feel that we're mitigating the disease and it's just the, simply the right thing to do. That's well, great decision making on, on on that, you know, following that guiding light of doing the right thing. Um, the COVID pandemic has been very rough on small business owners, on workers across the nation and on the economy in general. It has also significantly affected solo and small group practices, some of which have had to close their doors either temporarily or permanently. How do you see this pandemic affecting the healthcare landscape in both the near term and the long term? Well, I think that it's had a significant impact. Several of my friends across the country um, had to close their offices and they're struggling to make payroll. So their support staff and others are now furloughed in hopes that this will quickly recover and get back. But I think what it has shown is that we're probably going to be facing a new normal, not only in healthcare, but in all industry as well, because this is going to impact pretty much everyone in the country. I just read an article about uh, Disney this morning, uh, about Bob Iger, who's been a phenomenal CEO and transformed one of the iconic corporations of the world. And now they're struggling for survival. So I think that this global economic challenge has really impacted many industries. And as the economy recovers, I think all businesses will be looking to um, maybe a new normal. Um, I think about the restaurants who will look at, you know, social isolation in different ways. It's going to change the way that uh, revenue flows into corporations. And they're going to be looking for technology alternatives to help drive the efficiencies that help uh, with their overall business operations and ensure their successful return uh, to business. Yes, it's really going to have some long-standing effects on all kinds of industries and many probably that we're not even thinking about or predicting at this point. Um, Rich, we as a nation will have many opportunities for learning about our response to this pandemic, as well as how to better prepare in the future for the possibility of, of something like this happening down the road. What would you name as our greatest successes to date and our greatest opportunities for improvement in the future? So I, I think that uh, COVID-19 in our response has been exceptional. And we have proven that, you know, if you understand the disease and its potential early, uh, we drove to an expeditious mitigation response, which clearly played a role in uh, the health of the citizens of this state of California. I think our mitigation strategy has been brilliant and it has been um, effective and it required a tremendous effort in partnership uh, within the Kaiser Permanente organization and throughout the communities that we serve. I'm incredibly proud of the efforts that, that we did, and it demonstrates that the power of a large um, integrated healthcare delivery system uh, where we can move resources um, expeditiously throughout an entire system allowed us to respond in a very effective way to this uh, process. Rich, as we wind down this interview, is there anything else that you want to talk with our audience about? Anything that you think they should know um, just about what's going on? So I think that they should understand that this whole physical and social isolation strategy is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, make sure that you keep yourself healthy and, and practice social distancing. 
This is a novel virus that does not have a vaccine to date. Uh, we may have one in the next six to 12 months on a very expeditious path. But in the meantime, if you haven't been exposed to this disease, you've got to be exceedingly careful about how you um, interact with others. And I would maintain that six foot distance and I would wash your hands frequently and do all of the things that are recommended by the CDC. Absolutely. And it's going to be a real challenge to figure out how we start to get people back to work eventually as this, as things cool off and do that in a in a safe manner. And you know, of course, considering the economy, but also considering everybody's health and and the the potential for effects on human lives, right? That's right. Yeah, it's been an amazing process. It really has, um, Rich. I want to thank you very much on behalf of the podcast and on behalf of our audience for joining us uh, this evening to do this this episode of the show. Um, getting your perspective as a CEO of a large integrated healthcare system and kind of having that high level look at how an organization and and as a country and a state can respond to something like this, I think is is very, very interesting. So thank you a lot for taking the time out of your um, busy work schedule. Well, thank you so much, Ted. I really appreciated the opportunity to meet with you. Thank you. Absolutely. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.